Hi, I'm Dylan and I'm seven years old and I'm going to be reading out of Luke 9. The next day after they had come down the mountain, a large crowd met Jesus. A man in the crowd called out to him, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, my only child. An evil spirit keeps seizing him making him scream. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It batters him and hardly ever leaves him alone. I begged your disciples to cast out the spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said, you sinful and corrupt people, how long must I be with you and put up with you? Then he said to the men, bring your son here. As the boy came forward, Jesus knocked him on, knocked him on to the ground and threw him into a violent convulsion, but Jesus rebuked the evil spirit and healed the boy. Then he gave him back to his father. All gripped the people as they saw the majestic display of God's power. Uh, everyone was marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, listen to me and remember what I say. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. But they didn't know what he meant. It significant was hidden from them, so they couldn't understand it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. Hi friends, uh, my name is Dave. I'm on the pastoral team here, and happy to be bringing us again into the Gospel of Luke series. Uh, today, uh, we find ourselves in Luke chapter 9. Um, titled Jesus and Power, part one today and part two next week. I, I recently heard this story of how after church, a little girl turned to her mother and asked, hey, the, the pastor said that God is bigger than us and that God lives within us. Is that true? To which the mother replied, well, yes, dear, that is true. Well, the girl said, if God is bigger than us and he lives within us, wouldn't he show through? I love the innocence of this girl. And to be honest, I'm quite challenged by the question. If God is bigger than us and lives within us, then wouldn't he show through? 
I suppose in some way this question is on full display as the disciples found themselves in our text in Luke chapter 9, verses 37 to 43. For when asked to respond to a significant spiritual need in a boy's life, I suppose we say it directly, God was not showing through. And perhaps it was much to the disciples' surprise, which again is so interesting. Let's take a little closer look at these verses today. I, I would imagine that the supernatural events that happened on the top of Mount Tabor during the transfiguration of Jesus was very much on the forefront of Peter, James, and John as they descended down the Mount Tabor. In this passage, it seems that their descent down the mountain was earlier than Jesus's. And as they made their way down the mountain, they were met surprisingly by all the needs of everyday life or the everyday world in which we all live, down in the valley of Mount Tabor. The contrast must have been very, very significant. The majesty of Christ at the top, the mountain, contrasted with the mess of the world at the bottom. Friends, I, I hope that we never lose sight of that type of contrast even within this world today. So as the story goes, at some point prior to Jesus' arrival, the, the disciples were approached by the father of a troubled child and were asked to help bring a boy's deliverance. And we see from reading the passage in the chapter that the disciples were unable to help this family. So it's into this situation, which seemed a little hopeless and helpless, that Jesus arrives. Recognizing Jesus' arrival at the bottom of Mount Tabor, and um, the father takes his child very quickly to meet Jesus. I perhaps would just say in passing to parents, and uh, one of the beautiful things that's exemplified in the life of this father is by identifying the need of their child and taking as quickly as possible that need to Jesus. What a good example when we take the needs of our loved ones to Jesus. The request of the father is worded this way in Luke chapter 9, verse 38. Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. The word look here is very key. It literally means, teacher, would you look with pity? Or would you look in a way that acknowledges the boy's need for mercy and compassion? And then in verse 40, the, the father just slips in a statement by saying, and I, by the way, I beg your disciples to cast this demon out, but they could not do it. Verse 40 is a, a sentence that gets slipped in there that really creates perhaps the fullest meaning of this entire passage. For there's something strange happening in what seems to create this hopeless narrative. What is strange, perhaps, is that the disciples were unable to exercise this demon. 
Um, it's strange in light of Luke chapter 9, verse 1, where it says this, And Jesus called together the disciples and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. So one of the questions uh, of the passage here is why were the disciples powerless to exercise this demon? What would have needed to be different so the disciples could make the appropriate difference? The failure wasn't because of a lack of effort. Their failure wasn't because of technique or an understanding of what the need was. It wasn't because of the advice they'd received prior. Luke chapter 9, verse 1, Jesus gave them his authority and his power. So, learning to rely on Jesus' power and Jesus' authority is truly what spiritual formation is all about. It never, it would never be the disciples' human effort or human technique that could change anything, and certainly in the midst of this spiritual confrontation between good and evil. These types of things would only be accomplished through a person's life by way of the authority and power given to a Christian or a disciple by God. And friends, there's a big lesson here, a very big lesson here about power and control. These disciples perhaps were attempting by human effort to remove a foe that was so much more powerful than they were. When Jesus gave them authority to cast out demons, seeing change going forward would be by way of God's power and God's authority, not theirs, as good as people as they are. See, God's plan from Luke chapter 9 verse 1 on where the commissioning happened, was that the role of the disciples would always be humility, surrender, and reliance, and resistance. And the role of Jesus would always be related to his position, which is one of ultimate authority and power. When I played uh, competitive hockey a number of years ago, I'm reaching back right now, I, uh, I was actually the captain of the team, and I distinctly remember one day we were not doing well as a team. Everyone was frustrated, and I tried to take some matters into my own hand. Uh, what does that look like? Well, I began to carry the puck a little too much. I began to try to take a few extra shots. And, it, and not long into that strategy at a whistle, the coach called me over and in front of my whole teammates corrected me by saying, you are out of line and you are doing things that I never asked you to do. Wow. My initial reaction as a teenager was anger. Of course, I was embarrassed. And again, who was he to say that to me? But as I think back on that lesson, what a good lesson that we as God's people, let's, let's move that into this passage right here would do the things that God has asked us to do and leave to others and lead ultimately to God what is God's to do. So Jesus' rebuke in this passage was a reminder to the disciples to get back in their lane, to be the team player with God. God, of course, being the one who has ultimate power and authority in every situation. 
So in the, as I said, in this passage, the, the Jesus confronts these disciples and it's, and, it's, and it's worded this way in Luke chapter nine, verse 41. It's very direct. Um, Jesus, again, publicly, O faithless and corrupt generation, who, heavy, other translations, unbelieving, perverse, perverted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Wow. Why the, why the, why the, why the correction? Why, why did this become a teaching moment? Why did the, the statement of the Father immediately create moments of this great reaction by Jesus? Well, the disciples were not exercising their faith in God. They're all twisted and bent, out of shape. And they were doing things that God never asked them to do. Duly noted, Jesus is grieved when his people lack appropriate faith in him. Say it again. Jesus is grieved when his people lack faith in him. He was grieved. And he was up for the fight that day because he was fighting for good things because he had good things on his mind and on his heart for these disciples and accord the listening crowd. He is grieved when we lack faith in what God can do and we don't exercise that faith. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity says, to what will you look for help if you look not to that which is stronger than yourself? Friends, Christian faith, Christian power, and Christian authority involves always getting God involved by way of humility, prayer, and proclamation. And if we do this, God will show through. Friends, we, you and I, we have a great need for faith, a type of faith that produces within a person an authority and a power because of humility and an ability for proper prayer and proper proclamation of God's power and authority in all situations and at all times. The disciples walked down Mount Tabor that day probably feeling pretty good about themselves and how things were. Yet once at the base of the mountain, they were hit pretty hard as they were exposed to the spirit world. And this imminent battle was raging right in front of them. The disciples perhaps were walking down Mount Tabor, reminiscing about how spectacular the show was at the top of the mountain. But now in front of them, there is an entirely different kind of a show. This boy was convulsing, frothing at the mouth and screaming. An entirely different kind of show. Real life. Real life. Messy life to which they were called to bring Jesus' authority and power into it. But somehow that all got lost. That day, that need, the disciples needed to exercise faith in God to deliver the boy because the power of the enemy is destructive and God is the only deliverer. Friends, evil is not some impersonal force or just simply a bad relationship the evidence of evil is seen everywhere and is further, furthered through Satan and demons. And so Jesus, all through the Gospels and even the New Testament writers, 
often put a name on Jesus's rival. And Jesus kept exposing his rival and the activity of his rival, the devil. So we need to get comfortable with exposing this type of evidence as well. Our enemy is a, de- is a deceiver who often draws people into his web by promising them what they desire. Yet his goal is to harm and destroy. And while many human problems are due to the wage one must pay for sin, we also need to be on guard against the, the spiritual destructive power of Satan in this world today. That shouldn't, that shouldn't cause us to fear This passage is presented to us to allow faith to rise in the authority and power of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So what happens in our story? Luke chapter 9, verse 42, Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And Luke 9, 43 reports, the crowd were all amazed at the greatness of God. What a good ending story with a huge lesson in the middle. Duly noted is recognizing God's power and authority doesn't minimize a Christian's role. It just best defines it. And this is actually what this story does. Oh, that followers of Christ, you believe this, oh, that followers of Christ, oh, that neighbors and people in our community and our, and our, and our greater world would experience God's greatness and be caught up with amazement at how good God is, how all-powerful, all carries all authority and can do all things. Oh, what a story, what a narrative to get caught up in. Don't you long to see God move upon hearts and lives all around you, where God miraculously saves and delivers and helps and clarifies and builds up and gives courage? I know you do. Believe with me for that. And let's get caught up in that narrative. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Move upon us and among us and move by your Holy Spirit with the authority and power that only, only you have. In this passage, we learn again about power and authority. And it's not based upon a title or a position, anything related to human Power and authority comes by way of surrender, humility, prayer, and proclaiming Jesus. So the question, why is it always about Jesus? Huh? Why is the Gospels always pointing us to Jesus? Well, Jesus came to earth to recapture the authority that Satan had stolen through Adam's disobedience in the Garden of Eden. So Jesus succeeded in doing just that, securing this through, by way of going to the cross, a sinless sacrifice, dying a horrible death, suffering the penalty for sin, and and through that, defeating Satan and Satan's grip upon this world. And after securing all power and authority by way of the resurrection, Jesus in Luke chapter 9 and other passages freely gave all this power and authority over into the hands of those who would believe in him, which is his children, which is his family. So if you are a Christian, this means you. You have been given power and authority in Jesus' name, not in your first or last name. 
See, it's not simply enough for us to accept Jesus's work at Calvary for our, our salvation. We've been given so much more for the purposes of the salvation of others. See, his power and authority within our lives allows us three things. Number one, allows us to stand against so we can stand for someone. Ephesians 4, 27 says it this way. You be strong in the Lord. You put on the whole armor of God so that you will be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You take the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all you stand. Wow, what, a, what, a, what an opportunity. In this evil day in which we live, Ephesians 6, 12 says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. This is the battleground that you and I are called into. How do we fight? By prayer. We've learned this through the Essential Series. We, we fight through prayer with with in the spirit and with understanding, through proclamation of the word, through faith that God fulfills his word and promise. Number four, through a willingness to stand and knowing in our standing, we will be confronting situations or circumstances that are not God's will. Secondly, his power and authority within our lives allows us to speak for God. Mark 16 talks about going into all the world and preaching, declaring, proclaiming this good news with miraculous signs and wonders following. And this is what the disciples did, Mark chapter 16, verse 20. They went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs and signs following. God showing through. So good. Oh, that we would find our voice. See, God does not preach anymore. He has spoken through his word. And now we have the word to share. God will, will not lay his hands on the sick. Oh, he did that with Jesus. While Jesus was on the earth and miraculous things happened, now God looks to us to be the ones that would lay our hands upon the needs of others and see miraculously things happen. And God has certainly made the invitation clear, and now we get to be this people of invitation. And finally, his power and authority within our lives allows us to serve others. This is what the Father did in Luke chapter 9. I think of the story in Luke chapter 5. We studied this a number of months ago where the, the story of those who cut through the roof and lowered a, a needy person um, into the sight of Jesus for his healing Wow, oh, to get people to Jesus and serving them well as we do. Friends, this is possible. God showing up through us. God showing up so people can see. C.S. Lewis said this in Mere Christianity. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and he stops the leaks in the roof and so on. You know these types of jobs need doing and so you're not surprised. But presently he starts knocking 
the house about in a way that hurts abdominally and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is, is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he's building a palace. He intends to come and live in himself. That's our future. That's what God has on his mind today. And this is certainly my prayer for Living Waters Church as we move along into the second half of this year, full of God's power, appreciating God's authority, and allowing God to show through for our benefit and our salvation, and of course, for the blessing of the ministry that flows from that. Full of God's power. He has so much for us. Friends, as we begin meeting on Sunday mornings this month, that God's power would come upon us and change lives and that we would experience all the wonderful, great benefits of this. So believe with me. Let's, let's humbly declare and proclaim the good interest of God to do miraculous things. And by doing so, this big God who lives within will show through.